Some of you may have noticed that there's a new version of the Indiana Jones movie that has just been released. It's on Disney Plus, I believe, or maybe Amazon Prime, one of those. And, um, and I, a friend of mine uh, years ago, you know, really wanted me to watch Indiana Jones, and I just never did. I just, it was never part of my childhood, um, and, uh, the, you know, that friend always wanted me to watch it. Uh, well, finally, recently, um, I, I finally watched the original Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark. It was created in 1981. So uh, some of the adults, at least, might remember this movie. And, um, and I, as I'm watching this movie, um, you know, it starts out, there's like this mountain and, and like a, an image of the mountain. And then like Indiana Jones, like the back of his head shows up and like he's like walking and then there's like other people that are with him. They're like walking through the woods. There's like some background music. Um, and then there's like, you know, like they see something in the forest and it, it's intriguing. So they investigate. And it's like, oh my goodness, like I'm already so bored. Like <laughs> I just can't get through this movie. Like, and it took a good five minutes and I actually went back to time it. And it was literally five minutes before something interesting actually happened. I thought, this is interesting. And the reason is because they had to show all the credits. Like, these are all the different actors and, you know, directors and all these people. Um, and movies are a little different nowadays, if you've noticed. Because, and I actually went back just to see, and I didn't watch the new Indiana Jones movie, but I did um, press play just to see the comparison. You know, it's, 20, oh, it's 40 years later, 2023, and um, it's uh, surprisingly the same, same actor, main character. He's much older now, but, um, but you, you know, you watch the movie, and um, I just wanted to compare the opening scene. So opening scene, and within three seconds, there is an explosion. And all of a sudden, like, there's this, like, this man with, like, a, a bag over his face, and his hands are behind his back, and they're, like, shoving him to this chair. And then even within less than a minute, there's already a super important conversation that's happening. And I thought, wow, like, 40 years later, we finally got it. Like, this is how you catch your attention at the beginning of a movie. Like, you gotta, you got to grab your attention, especially nowadays. If you don't grab your audience's attention right away, like, they're done. They're checked out, thinking about anything, literally anything else, and, uh, and super bored and uninterested. But you see, uh, good artists, good musicians, good uh, uh, authors of books, uh, good directors of films, they understand the importance of the opening, of the opening line, the opening scene, the opening words, the opening experience, because it's an attention grabber. And in, in many ways, it, it sets the tone for what you're going to experience next. And I believe that St. Mark really understood this well whenever he wrote his gospel. Now, whenever you look at today's gospel and you read the first line, you might just think, well, yeah, that's super bland and, you know, just a, a, a neat little heading that kind of, you know, labels what's about to happen, but it, it's not really interesting to us. But for a first century Jew, that very first line of Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 1, verse 1, is extremely potent. It's striking. It's, it's rich with meaning. There's so much that's happening even in just that one little verse. And, and for all of us, we probably miss it. So I want to just kind of explain word by word, like what's happening in this first sentence, just to give you a, a little bit more context of how a first century uh, Jew or even a first century non-Jew would have read this first line. So Mark chapter one, verse one, the beginning of the gospel 
of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Sounds bland enough. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So let's go word by word, the beginning. So first of all, we have Mark, St. Mark, writing this gospel. And, and especially for the Jews of the time, they would have been well-studied of the Old Testament, well-knowing well of the, um, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the gospel especially. And, and they would have known very well um, the very first lines of the book of Genesis. Which are, if you recall, in the beginning, God created the world, etc., etc. But but that first those first that first phrase, Bereshit in Hebrew, in the beginning, God created the world, and 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 that is such a, a an important reference to the Old Testament right there because. The beginning of the Old Testament is the beginning of Scripture. It's the beginning of, of the foundation of their belief and their faith as Jewish people. And, and what happened in the beginning? Well, God created the whole entire universe and the world. So for Mark to use a similar introduction to his story that he's about to tell, he is already drawing a connection. And, and making a statement like the story that I'm about to tell is about to be just as good, if not better, than the story that you know as Scripture. And this story is going to be, in a sense, a new creation. So let's go back to that phrase, or to that first line. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Son of God. So gospel, the Greek word euangelion, eu meaning good, Gelion meaning message, the gospel meaning good message, or as we know it today, good news. So now listen, whenever we hear the word gospel, we've probably heard it plenty of times. We usually think of like, you know, Christian stuff, or, you know, maybe you think of gospel music, or um, just, you know, you probably think of Jesus, which is awesome and correct, but that's because the gospel writers like St. Mark redefined that word for us. But before they did that, before these Gospels existed, the word gospel, euangelion, referred to the good news that a messenger would bring to announce a military victory to a king. So whenever the king sends out his troops and they're to fight the battle, conquer a land, whatever, whatever, what have you. If they won, if there was a victory, they would send their messenger back home and announce the good news, the euangelion, that we have won, we've conquered, we have defeated our enemy in military battle. And because of that, this is great news, glad tidings, so let's throw a party. That's what the word gospel meant to a first century person, especially a non-Jew. And Mark is saying that we are going right here. I'm going to tell you a story about a victory of conquering an enemy, which brings glad tidings to us. All right, so let's go back to it. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Jesus, coming from the, um, the, the Jewish name Yeshua, uh, which is a derivative of Joshua, the Old Testament military figure who brings and leads his people into the promised land. 
There is a, a military conquest that happens, and they defeat their enemies and enter the promised land under the direction of Joshua. And so now we have this Jesus character who is, in a sense, a new Joshua, bringing his people not to the old promised land, but rather to a new promised land, one far greater than the one that the people of Israel entered into the, uh, many, many years ago, the new promised land being the kingdom of God. So let's go back to it, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Christ, Christos, the anointed one, the, or as, as they were expecting, the, the Messiah, the Messiah, who was going to be the anointed chosen one by God who would be sent to bring in the reign of God for his people once more. But, but they understood that this Messiah was promised to the people of God, uh, particularly promise given to King David, and that his descendant would be a Messiah and would bring about the reign of God uh, once more. But they expected that to happen with a military battle by defending, or not defending, by conquering the enemies with the sword. And Mark is saying that we have found the Messiah, the Christos, the Messiah, the anointed one. And his name is Jesus. So let's go back to that line. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, son of God. So now when we hear that as, as, first, as 21st century Christians, we think of son of God, you know, second person of the Trinity, um, you know, because God is father, son, and spirit. And um, the, the second person of the, of the Trinity is Jesus Christ. He's fully God and fully man, hypostatic union. And all of that is true. But again, for the, the audience to read this for the first time, when they hear the, the term son of God, they heard a reference to Caesar. Because when Julius Caesar died, they gave him the, the title of the divine Caesar. And then his adopted son, Caesar Augustus, when he came into rule, they referred to him as, well, he's the son of the divine Caesar. So he's the, the son of God. And, and this kind of became a title for all the Caesars of Rome. And, and they, they really treated the, the Caesars, the, the emperors of Rome, with, that, uh, with such great honor and respect and basically gave him divine authority. And Mark is telling a story about a son of God, a true son of God, not Caesar, but rather Jesus Christ. All of that is in that first sentence, and to make it even more potent for you, to put it into the, the time period and the cultural and political context, St. Mark, as we know from uh, Scripture scholars, is, is um, believed to have been a disciple of St. Peter. Where was St. Peter? Well, St. Peter, after you know, Jesus died and, and rose from the dead um, and commissioned his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations, St. Peter went to Rome and preached and taught and ministered and healed and, and did all these things in Rome and eventually was martyred, killed because he was preaching this Christian faith, which was inconvenient to the Roman pagan politics at the time. And so he was killed. And after he was killed, St. Mark writes this gospel and says, the beginning 
of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Son of God. The beginning, a new creation of the good news, the gospel, glad tidings of a victory that is happening of Jesus, the new Joshua, who leads his people into the new promised land, Christ, the anointed one chosen by God to, to bring about the reign of God on earth, um, the beginning of Jesus of the gospel of Jesus Christ, son of God, not Caesar, but rather Jesus Christ. Mark says this after Peter was killed for speaking such things. And he says this to particularly the Christians in Rome, but certainly the non-Christians would have seen it as well. This is an extremely bold statement that he is saying, a risky one to say, and he only says it because he truly believes it to be true. And thank God he did, because none of us would be here today if the gospel writers would not have continued to spread the message of Jesus. Really, though, what Mark does is that he redefines success for us. That success is not in power and control, like the Romans would have understood it. Success is not in wealth and health and and comfort and pleasure. And success is not in fame and honor and popularity. No, success for St. Mark is in Jesus. Success is in a life of the Holy Spirit. Success is victory in Christ. But if we're really honest with ourselves, we probably don't typically define success in those terms. We'd rather have our cake and eat it too. We'd rather have both. And it's not that Jesus says we can't have both, but usually push comes to shove eventually. So how do you define success? Be honest with yourself. What is your measure of success? Because the measure of our success, however we answer that question, typically will determine how we spend our time and our energy. And if success is defined as the pagan Romans would have defined it, well then, you're not going to find joy. And you're also wasting your time here tonight. But if success is defined as Jesus defines it, well, that's hard. That's hard. But... It's life-giving. There's freedom in that. And it takes a lifetime to, to be purified enough to truly believe it and to live it out, but it is so worth it because success is defined not in terms of the world, but rather in holiness. And there is joy in that measure of success. There, it's not that Jesus is asking us to make sure that you are unsuccessful in the, in the eyes of the world. No. But there is joy in knowing that if ever you seemingly fail in the eyes of the world, you can still be successful and victorious in Jesus Christ if you love, if you allow the Holy Spirit to transform your heart and to pour yourself out for others. What does it look like? It looks like death to self and rising with Christ. That is success. And our identity is not caught up in what the world wants to define us by. True success is a life of freedom, a life of joy and peace in Christ. And oftentimes, for the greater glory and kingdom of God, there is some worldly success. But be careful. 
Be careful if you have that. We're grateful if it happens. We celebrate it, and we give it all back to God. Because if we're not careful, we'll start to cling to it. We start to trust it. We start to think that we accomplished that without God. And we start to lose our identity in Christ. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Son of God, Jesus has brought about a new creation, and this is good news. The good news is that joy can be found. The good news is that freedom exists and it's possible. True freedom, the freedom to love and to be who you were created to be. The good news is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the true Messiah, who brings you and me and anyone else who wants and who is willing to have the courage to follow him, all of us are invited into something far greater than what pagan Rome offers for us. So today I just invite you to consider what is your level of, what is your measure of success? And if you are just thinking about it wrong, or at least have been, just invite you to ask the Lord to help you reprioritize your mind and your heart so that you can die to self and rise with Christ with great joy, freedom, and peace. Amen.